0: Amen. Oh, yeah. Amen. You hear that little amen? That was was solid. That was awesome right there. (laughs) My favorite amen I heard in a while. All right, we're going to get into the book of Ephesians. So you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1, or if you've got your lift notes, got almost the whole thing uh, that we're going to go over today printed out right there for you. So this is now the fourth book of Paul that we are going to dive into and study in this year, 2021. This is the fourth and final of what are known as Paul's prison letters. He wrote them from prison, which is an astounding reality when you look at the focus of where his mind is at, because he's just a normal person who's an encountered and extraordinary God. And that gives us hope because that's all we are too. And so when you see the fruit coming out of his life while he's in one of the most uncertain and scary and locked down experiences that he can possibly have as a human, where his life is on the line, his future is on the line with an us unjust Caesar who will decide his fate, what's the fruit that's coming out of his life? And it's incredible. It's so good. It's so powerful. It's part of what's so appealing to me. Is like, that's such a powerful person right there. That in the midst of life being so hard, circumstantially, he is regularly talking about joy and hope and thanksgiving and how awesome God is and how great Jesus is and knowing Jesus is greater than anything else on earth and even if I've lost everything, I've got it all because everything else is dung compared to Jesus. That's what he said in Philippians 3. And so it's like, that's appealing because that's a real human testimony. He's just sharing his life. I want to have that kind of life. I want to have that kind of encounter with God, that that's the stuff that comes out of me when life's hard. And so we've been looking at these prison letters. So Ephesians is the fourth and final one we're going to look at. And I just want to jump right in. We're going to kind of skip some of all the other background stuff. main thing you need to know is this is a general letter where Paul is introducing the gospel to anyone who hears it. So this is kind of the basic good news. What is God all about? What is the gospel? What's the good news? That's a very important question. That's what our Kingdom of God workshop was all about a couple of weeks ago. What is the good news? That's what gospel means. It's the exact same word. What's the good news that God has for your life? What is the gospel? What does God want you to grab hold of to know What are the promises of God? What's the good news that he wants you to wake up in the morning and say, I know this is is truth about God, and I'm grabbing hold of it? Very, very important question. We all wake up and live with and go to bed with some concept of what God wants to do in our life, who God is, what kind of news he has for us. And it's very important to get those things right. And it's very important to let that expand and grow. That's one of the things I love about God's word, is that I'm constantly challenged to let my understanding of the good news get bigger. Because here's the thing, if I've got a preconceived notion of, I'm going to go read God's word and I'm not really open to my concept of the good news of who God is and what God wants to do in my life, if I'm not open to that growing and in fact looking for it to grow, another way of saying that is, I think I've got God all figured out. I'm already like Jesus. I've got no more growing to do or I'm just going to limit God. I don't believe God could get any bigger than I've already experienced of him. All of those things are crazy. And so maybe they're subconscious. We probably don't go reading God's word saying, I'm going to limit God and learn nothing today. I am not open to God doing anything in my life. I've experienced all that I ever want to of God. God is done with me. He's done a pretty good job. So he's done. He's, he's moved on to other people who need more work. I mean, what's our posture when we come and read God's word? It should always be, I want to learn and grow. There is more good news that I need to get here, here, and all up in here to be transformed. And so that's a a posture when we go to God's word. And so as we read Ephesians 1, I want us to think about what is the good news That Paul is trying to get across. What are some aspects of good news that God has for you, for me, for the church, for the world that you hear in this passage? And is it challenging us? Is it challenging our current understanding of God? Our current experience thus far of God? It should. And that's a good thing. Because it just means, come on. Yeah, thank you, Lord. It it just means that God's not done yet. And he's just going to show himself that much more powerful in your life. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's jump. Paul kind of introduces himself, says, hey, I'm Paul. I'm writing a letter. God bless you. (laughs) So there you go. Now verse 3. Here's some of the good news. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is like praise God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me pause. That's wild. I'm going to encourage you, if you got your lift notes out, just as you're reading this, circle stuff, underline stuff, or even in your Bibles. I like doing that in one of my Bibles. That's my it's my study Bible. I mark, I underline, I draw, I write notes, all that stuff. just helps me think, helps me meditate on God's Word, helps me ponder God's Word, et cetera, uh, process it, if you will, chew on it as, as God's Word tells us to do. So if you've got your Bibles and you're comfortable with that, do it. Or write there on the lift notes, come back to it. But there's some phrases in here that I trust the Holy Spirit's going to help stand out that are just whew, wildly good news. I'll read that first one again because it's crazy. This is one of my favorite promises in all of the Bible. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Translation, in Christ, everything in heaven is yours. I've got a little more growing to do even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, good news, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Some people put that on as their identity. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which which he has blessed us in the beloved or in His beloved Son, the Beloved One. In Him we have, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose with which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and on earth, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So There's so much in here of good news, and I know I read it fast, and I wanted to stop a bunch, but just got to get through it. We'll come back here a little bit. This passage, man, wow. So much good news. It's, it's tempting to kind of let your your eyes, you know, kind of glaze over of just like, wow, these, these are hyperbolic phrases that Paul's really excited, he's having a great day, and he's writing all this crazy stuff. But it's like, if we can slow down and grab on to some of these incredible aspects of the good news, what it will do to propel our life forward is nothing short of glorious heavenly transformation some of the best news I mean I would put that you know five seven verses whatever it is up against any other source of news on the planet and say let's go toe to toe whose is better who's got a better future promised who's got a better present promise right now who's got more power on your side who has hope for the future? Who covers all the bases needed? Because we've got to be aware that there are messages coming for us every day. Every single day, messages that are saying, hey, i got the good news over here. This is the good life you're looking for. This is what you need. This is what will satisfy. So we've got to have our radar up, sharp and aware of these Imposters, these pseudo-truths who are trying to take the place of God, who wants to be our everything, who wants to be our only source of good news. As Paul goes on to say at the end of this chapter, so that Christ is all in all. Let's walk back through just a few of these things, and each one really could be their own message, and they're so glorious, but today I feel like there's a sense of just to, like, eat this Thanksgiving feast really quick and then move on because they're just to to get to something that's really, I believe, incredibly encouraging from the Lord for us. So if we walk back through this passage, some elements of the good news that stand out, that if I was reading it and when I did just for my own time, circle, underline, you know, look up, go back to, ponder, God help me understand this, I want to know this. Etc. Let's just walk through some of them. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, that one right there is worth coming back to over and over. This is Paul introducing the gospel. He doesn't know the people at Ephesus. He's never been there. You'll see later in the, in the excuse me, he, he's been to Ephesus. He doesn't know the people personally that he's writing to. It's a general letter for anyone in the area who will read this. So this is not a specific group. I know this house church right here, like Colossians and how he wrote Philemon and Philippians and to Lydia and the church in her house and all these things were a very specific group. So when he's writing, it's like maybe 20, 30, 50 people and he knows them either helped plant the church or he knows them well from his various activities and so he's writing with personal knowledge this is an introduction to what god's all about this is an introduction to jesus to the greater area of ephesus and the first thing he wants to say the good news of Jesus Christ, is that in Christ, God has blessed us. God has blessed you. Come hear this good news. Everything in heaven is yours. I mean, you can't, you, can't, you can't really outdo that one. You can't get bigger. Everything in heaven is yours in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours in Christ. I mean, try to outdo that. Who, who can do better? I got a good one for you. I got some good news today. Everything in heaven is yours in Christ. It's one of those that's like, okay, that's so big, I just gloss over it, right? I pass over it. That's where it's like, I know that's a temptation for all of us. What does that even mean? But I'm trying to get more and more into that place where it's like, okay, just because it's so big and awesome, and I haven't experienced the, uh, the fullness of that yet. Or I haven't experienced life in a way where, wow, that immediately makes sense. Yeah, all, everything in heaven is mine in Christ. So instead of letting the normal reaction be that I kind of just gloss over it and subconsciously say, Nah, not for me. I'm limiting God. That's too big. That's too good to be true. It's like, whoa. Let this become a promise of what God still wants to do in my life. More of the good news that's still coming my way because I have so much more learning and growing to do. To the point that God wants to work in me this reality that all of heaven, everything in heaven is mine so that when I'm writing to other people, The basics, this is the basics of Christianity, the basic good news about what God wants to do is for you to encounter the reality that everything in heaven is yours in Jesus. And that that's not crazy. So, wow. Let's hold on to that thought. He goes on. And it's a perfect parallel, by the way, to one of the other most wonderful passages, I think we ever have in the Bible Luke 12 32 where Jesus says fear not little flock for it is your father's your perfect heavenly father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom in other words it makes God happy to give you his beloved children everything in heaven it makes God happy it brings God pleasure you're his beloved kids so he wants to give you everything wow that's awesome he goes on even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him i mean you could go on any of those words that he chose us to be holy and blameless and that in christ that is how god sees you you see that he didn't say God chose us and through Christ who is holy and blameless your little sinful self squeaked into heaven while that is true he puts that on us as our identity now in Christ we are holy and blameless before him Christ's identity becomes our identity that's good news and we got to own it. And he goes on. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself. Just, oh, gosh, there's too many good words in here. In love he predestined. Why did God create the world? There it is, right there. Verse 5. In love he predestined. So this plan of God from eternity past to create the world was because in love. And there's the word agape, which is a fountain. That's the best way to picture it. Agape is a love that flows outward toward others, a self-giving, self-sacrificing love that goes outward. So it's this picture of why did creation even happen? Because God is this overflowing fountain of love that wants to be shared with the world. But it's not an impersonal sharing. It's to the point where you and I are what? Adopted as children into the very holy family of God. As it says right there, in love, out of this overflowing fountain of goodness, the plan of creation was birthed and took place, so we were predestined for what? Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. That is plural children. Beloved children. That is the predestined plan of God. That is why creation took place, because God overflowed in this loving desire to adopt people as legitimate children into his family. So God is not this far-off impersonal. Wow, he's powerful, but I'm terrified to be with him. The primary image that God wants us to feel and know and receive as good news was that in creation, eternity past, the overflowing love of God brought forth this idea, I want to adopt children into my family. I want them to share what I have shared with my beloved son for an eternity past. And that's, this is so far the primary, the first image of who we are in God's eyes from eternity past. This is some good news. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, we, which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. So let's we know this. We know these truths. This is the truth. This is who Jesus is: that he's lavished his redeeming, cleansing, purifying blood of Christ upon us. Lavished! That's a good word. We should get used to that word. That's good news. We should own that word. God has lavished his grace upon me. He is not stingy. It makes God happy to give us all of heaven. God is not a stingy God. He's lavishing his grace upon us. That's the waterfall that's flowing. That's the agape love that from all eternity past was such a powerful force of overflowing love. It created a a world desiring to adopt children it's lavish it's not just a trickle it's not just a drop it's not just a okay fine you can have a little bit you got saved you wretch (laughs) lavished lavished those are kind of that's good news it's got to become our picture of God who is this God he lavishes his grace making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So this is an affirmation of the first promise, which is that in Christ, everything in heaven is yours. Well, how is that possible? Because in Christ... God's mysterious plan comes to pass where in Christ all things are united in heaven and earth. It's united in Christ, united. They become one. Or as Jesus taught us to pray, that God's will is, Matthew six ten. when they say, how do we pray? Not how should Jesus pray, how do we pray? Jesus said, you pray like this. May God's will be done. Your kingdom come, God. Right? What's your kingdom come? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have the privilege to carry out, to be a part of, to partner with God's will, his mysterious will it's, that, that now is revealed in Christ, that Jesus is uniting heaven and earth, that everything in heaven that's ours in Christ, he wants us to encounter on earth. Heaven and earth become one in Christ. I know now we're in the deep water. We're in the territory of, yeah, I'll sing that, but I don't know about believing it and walking it out. That's too big. Right? I mean, I know. I I was like, come on. What does that mean? What does that mean? I've got everything in heaven's mind. And I'm supposed to pray that every day and believe that I'm a part of making that happen? That's what Jesus told me to do in prayer Yes, yes, yes. So here's a little more. In him we have unob- uh, obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. When you heard the word, the good news, this is all good news, you heard all this good news, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of this inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory a better translation should be the sense clearly is until we acquire full possession of it the holy spirit is the down deposit and if you actually have the holy spirit it's not nothing (laughs) like you are encountering that you are encountering the power of heaven you will be encountering the power of heaven the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and is the one who did through Jesus all the miracles that we see, heaven coming to earth and heaven transforming earth is the same exact Holy Spirit that Jesus said is going to be in you and dwell in you and be upon you to where Jesus can say this audacious thing in John 14, whoever believes in me will do the very miracles I do. Now we're in the deep. (laughs) That's good news, though. Rather than like, oh, I'll read that. Uh, Oh, well, uh, I haven't seen all that, so therefore God must have changed his mind and stopped that. Versus, I have so much more to learn and grow. My life's going to continue to get better. Look at all these hope-filled promises that I have not yet experienced the fullness of. Versus, I'm going to define God based on my current experience, and let's be honest, my unbelief. I'm not there yet. That's scary. So I say, well, God must not operate that way anymore. It was just for them. Based on no scriptures in the Bible. So heaven and earth are united in Christ, and that is our inheritance. That's the inheritance. I mean, you, you see the picture that he's painting here. My goodness, these words. This this picture of God's nature, God's character, God's good news, that because of the overflowing love, this is undeserved. You can't earn it. Don't even try. It it's God's like does not compute. Agape love is this spontaneous free-flowing love that just pours out because of his nature and goodness, not because we've earned it and impressed him. So there's some freedom right there so we can stop right now trying to earn it and just receive it. That's the original gospel, and it's the gospel to lean on every day. It's a free gift to be received that for God so loved the world. That's the same word. It's that agape. It's that agape love that caused the creation of the world to even happen, where God had a picture of, I've got this amazing relationship with my son, this familial love. I want to share that with others and bring them into my family. And in fact, they're so much a part of my family, they have an inheritance. That's family language. Heirs. They are heirs, which is used a lot, actually, in other places in the New Testament. That we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance to receive. And what is it? Uh, all of heaven. And it starts now. And that's Paul's prayer. That's, what, that's where Paul wants to go with this. Is that this good news starts now. This inheritance is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, and the fact that we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit means it starts now. And yes, we look forward to the day that is yet to come when we will take full possession of it, Paul says, but man, we've already got it, and it starts now. And so Paul prays this prayer going on. In 1, 17 to 19, right after he unloads on them all this incredible good news of who God is and who we are in God's eyes. He prays a prayer that, again, it's sometimes he's like such lofty language, skip over it, or just like, oh, that's cool. Paul's a spiritual guy. He prays big prayers that I just kind of ignore. I'm being honest. That's me. I'm myself. As I'm learning to slow down he's praying something i'm going to trust was guided by the holy spirit and has has wisdom and truth and power in it so what is he praying so it's no coincidence that after he unloads all of this good news that will kind of blow our minds and 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 cause a a kairos moment, if you will, a moment of opportunity where either we say, no, thanks, it's too much for me, or I can't handle it, or I'm going to limit it, or it's a little scary, or I haven't experienced yet, so I'm going to say, you know, God, stay in that box over here. Or, yes, Lord, I want all of that. I need all of that. I can't make that happen. Every time we hear good news, that's the crossroads that we're at. And so Paul knows that. He knows that we're going to be feeling this. And so what does he do? He says, let me pause right now. I just got started in the letter. I over, I know I probably overloaded you with good news. So let me pause. Let me pray for you. Let me pray because we all need it. So listen to what he prays. Verse 17, that God may give you, that's a gift. The gifts just keep coming. That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know, know what is the hope. Let me stop. He's praying for experiential knowledge of him experiential knowledge. We have to, as we've talked about before, remove the western sense of knowledge, which means purely academic information. Like in the classroom, if you can parrot back the facts, the data, then you have knowledge. That's not biblical knowledge. Biblical knowledge is experiential that produces things. Like Babies, for example, in Genesis 1, that same word of knowledge in that same sense said, Adam knew Eve, and they had a baby. So, knowledge is an experience that changes and produces. So, this is where Paul's praying. I am praying that you will, by the Spirit of God, have knowledge of these things. Not, oh, I've heard this, it's information in my head, but that it becomes encounter that produces change in your life. Such as, and he goes on to say, so that you may know the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So his prayer, after he unloads all this good news about who we are in God's eyes, who God is, is that God's spirit would help us encounter him, experience him, so that we have hope and riches and power that line up with who God is. I mean, those are some incredible things. Like, again, it's like, wow, it's, it's too good to be true. It's scary because it's like it's it's so the picture he's painting is so awesome. It, it can feel intimidating to the point of like I'm not gonna try. Too much for me. I'll wait till heaven. I'll wait till heaven. I believe I'm waiting till heaven. But what is this prayer? The prayer is not hey here's all this good news so that you can just be excited about heaven, just look forward to dying. We should be excited about heaven. But that's not what Paul's talking about right here. Listen to him. So that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the immeasurable power toward us who believe. If you, he wants us to be able to wake up in the morning full of hope every day because we know the riches of the inheritance that all of heaven is ours in Christ and that is an immeasurable power coming at our life when we believe. So it's like, wow, okay, now we're talking. I want to see that in my life. I want to see immeasurable power transform my life because of the riches of the reality that all of heaven is ours in Christ. And so, man, I, I, we have more reason to be hope-filled when we wake up than anyone else. There's no hope like Jesus. So this is meant to turn our life into a prayer of, man, I want more of that, God. God, I want to know you in that way. So I've been messing around in my own life and world and, and prayer time and as we meditate on God's word, you know, you, you come up with these, we should come up with the senses of what, so what does this mean in my life? What, what promise do I grab onto? What is a biblical truth that I'm meditating on, pondering, holding on to, worshiping God for, declaring as a promise, declaring as a praise? And so I've, I've been thinking about all of these things and wondering about, what about this phrase, the best is yet to come? Is that an appropriate biblical truth to hold on to? It's a provocative phrase. The best is yet to come. I mean, that would be awesome if that were true, to be able to wake up and say, no matter what's happened in my life, no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances are, I know that in Christ, the best is yet to come. I mean, there's so much hope in that phrase. It's saying things are going to get better. The best days are not behind, they're ahead. The best is yet to come. I have the hope that based on the riches of the inheritance coming my way and his immeasurable power that he wants to show in my life, that the best is yet to come. So I've been playing with it, though. Is that you know as we should if we're going to hold on to a promise we need to test it with other scriptures is that appropriate or is there another scriptures that say no that's not quite right you got to modify that that's not a truth that's not a promise and i would submit to us that it's paul's own testimony paul's own life that makes clear that this hope filled declaration that the best is yet to come is absolutely appropriate to have for now in this life. He says it like this, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, talking about when we come to faith, when we put our faith in Jesus, and the Spirit of the Lord is there for freedom, so we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, so We're getting to know Jesus. That's that picture. Beholding. I'm seeing Jesus. Beholding the glory. That's like Old Testament language for like when Moses said, I want to see you. Seeing God is a synonym for knowledge. Experiential knowledge of God. Beholding your glory. I want to behold your glory. So Paul is saying, as we believe in Jesus with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, so knowing God, encountering God, as that happens in our life, we are being transformed into the same image as Jesus, being transformed to be more like Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. Paul is clearly talking about this life right now. This is, the, this is the journey of being a follower of Jesus right now. As we believe in him, as the spirit of God comes in our life to bring that freedom, we believe in him. We, the veil's lifted and we are on the journey by the power of the spirit to behold him, to get to know him. Jesus said, eternal life is knowing God, and it starts right now. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3:8 I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. So knowing God is not reserved for heaven. It is the Christian life now. So we get to know God. The veil is torn, the veil is gone. Life is meant to be a series of encounters of knowing God more, experiencing God. And what happens when, when those encounters happen is that we get transformed to be more like Jesus to such a, a magnitude that the Bible says, Glory's on you. One degree of glory to another, to actually be like Jesus. How could life not be getting better and better if you're becoming like Jesus? That's where this meme in my head wins the day. How can my life not get better if I'm becoming more like Christ? How could I say that if this passage takes place and I am... Seeing Jesus and getting to know Jesus, and by the Spirit's power, His will is being done in my life to where I am becoming conformed to be more like Jesus and glory to glory. I'm becoming my, my, more like Jesus, but yeah, yeah, my life's getting worse. Like, no, not possible. If we're becoming more like Jesus, which is God's will for our everyday life, then we have, then yes. We've got to grab on, grab on to that awesome truth that the best is yet to come. Our life now is about beholding Christ to become like Christ. I mean, if we need a purpose statement to get ye up in the morning, there it is. As a follower of Jesus, your privilege, the good news, the gospel is that God's will for your life is that you behold Christ to become like Christ. And Paul lives this out from prison. So that's this extra measure of credibility and authenticity. He says, in prison, I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. He says, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. He says, I give thanks in all things. I rejoice in all things, not for all things. In all things. Why? Because his character is and is continually being transformed to be more like Christ. And that's a massive point or a massive important part of grabbing on to the best is yet to come. Is Paul demonstrates that that truth is not dependent on outward circumstances. But it's lived out in the character, in our character transformation of becoming more like Christ. I mean, the-, the circumstances around us will change. God promises that because when we're living more and more like Christ, the world around us changes. You can see that in the life of Jesus. the world around him, God blessed. The circumstances changed and we see that in the Apostles that followed him to where Peter and John, just normal people, but they have been transformed because they've been with Jesus. They've seen God's glory. They're getting transformed to where they have a confidence that when, the, when they see bad things around them, like a lame man who's not walking, they have a confidence that says, hey, I don't have any money that you're asking for right now, but I have something. What I have, I give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. That's having something. (laughs) It will change your circumstances, but... It's not dependent on the circumstances, and Paul's in bad circumstances, and just because you get transformed to be more like Christ doesn't make us immune to the circumstances around us. We still live in a fallen and broken world, so even Jesus himself had experiences that were bad, and even Jesus himself said, in the world, we're going to have trouble. In the world, you're going to get hated. In the world, you're going to get persecuted, so this is not saying, as we follow Jesus, all circumstances will be nice and easy and comfortable. No, because we live in a fallen world where the clash of kingdoms of evil and and God's goodness of heaven is constantly at war. But it's about we will live in victory in those circumstances, and it's from this internal place of power of being transformed to be like Jesus that we can have good fruit in, in, in the midst of and despite the circumstances. It's how Jesus can be thinking about the cross sitting in front of him And his final instructions include words like this. I've told you all these things so that my joy will be in you, and you may have my joy to the fullest. He's fully aware of an execution coming, and he's like, hey, guys, before we go, I've got so much joy, and I've got to pass it on to you. You've got to know this so you can live in the joy that I live in. Come on. Or was there anyone that ever carried the emotional and spiritual stressful burden that Jesus did? Yet, Jesus would say in Matthew 11, Come, learn from me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, for I walk in a light and easy yoke. So learn from me how to walk like that. Did you hear, Jesus? (laughs) He just said, as the man who carried more pressure and stress and criticism and whining and complaining and faithless disciples and annoying whatever, that burden spiritual, I mean, now get serious, knowing the burden of sin is coming, he carried more than anyone ever carried. And his testimony is, guys, you're a little stressed. I see it. Come and learn from me, because I walk with a light and easy yoke. Come on. Or even on the cross, in the most horrific circumstance ever captured in humanity, where, among other things, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is going through hell on the cross the first time the Father and the Son have ever been separated from that joyful fellowship that they had for all eternity past. So it is the worst possible circumstance and he's going through it for us and in the midst of that, his heart to his murderers is what? Father, forgive them. That is an eternal... Fountain of agape coming out of him. And Paul's good news is, and it's available to you from one degree of glory to another. Get to know him because the best is yet to come. The promises that he has for your life will blow your mind. But they're real, and it's just an invitation to posture your heart as a learner, as a beloved child that says, "Wow, all of heaven is mine." <laughs> I have no idea what that looks like, but I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to live my life with focus and passion and purpose. It says in you the best is yet to come and I'm not giving up on that and I'm not letting go of that and those circumstances are going to redefine your character. No circumstances are going to redefine my theology of who you are. I'm going to keep pressing in because I believe you. So God, do it. One day at a time. Let's pray. That this is who you are. This is who we want to become this is how we want to know you and live our life Lord I'm gonna ask my wife to pray for us pray a blessing upon us
1: while we were praying I uh, felt like I heard a specific word from the Lord that I think is an amazing um, modern-day interpretation of just him giving us all things, uniting heaven and earth, opening all of heaven to us. And all of heaven is all of him because heaven is heaven because of the presence of God and the dominion and reign of God. So all of heaven, when, when that scripture says, let's see, go up here. and When, he, when that scripture says, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. When he unites us to heaven, he is uniting us in him. Mm. He is uniting us in his presence. And the words I heard from the Lord were, all access pass. He has purchased for us an all access pass into his presence at every moment. And at any moment where we are feeling like there is a lack of his presence, and his kingdom we have an all-access pass to come to him to come to him we have his spirit within us we have his spirit to commune with him to commune with him, to listen to him, to receive from him, to declare what he is saying over our circumstances in our world and to see his kingdom come and his presence move from inside of us, the presence and the spirit of the resurrected king move from inside of us, resurrecting the inside and move out into the world around us. So I just want to... Um, Just leave us with that. Lord, we thank you that we have an all-access pass. God, show us how to use it. Show us how to move in it. Show us how to walk in this daily. Show us, let your spirit just uh, awaken us so that when we feel hopeless, when we feel helpless, when we feel emotions that aren't in heaven, that you would just quicken our spirits to come to you with our all-access pass to receive more and to receive the kingdom breakthrough of your presence in our lives every moment. Thank you, Jesus, for the all-access pass to your presence and provision in every moment and for your transforming power. Thank you, Jesus, for glory to glory. And that, that is our story. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: I will sing a new song. I will sing a new song. I will dance a new dance like David.